1: For this week on the Gagan Pod, I'm jumping into the hosting chair and we'll be joined by an all star cast of Michael Bridges, Mark Schwarzer, and Tommy Orr as we discuss the Men's World Cup, Australia's chances. We'll take a look into our crystal ball and we'll find out what they think about Cristiano Ronaldo's rant, plus the Matilda's recent internationals. You're listening to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Let's get in to the Gagan Pod. Well, hello and welcome to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. This is The Gag and Pod. I'm Amy Duggan, your host, and I'm joined by a legendary panel today. A big welcome to Socceroos icon, Mark Schwarzer, who also played in the 2006 and 2010 World Cups. Schwarzy, hello.
2: Hello, Amy. How are you?
1: I'm great, and Tommy Orr also doing great. Uh, Today, 28 Socceroos caps, including the 2014 World Cup, and that experience will come in handy when we're talking about today's topics. Tommy, welcome.
3: Thank you. Pleasure to be here.
1: And Michael Bridges, what is a Pod without you? Premier League legend and unashamedly following more than one team as always. How is that going to work out at the World Cup? Let's find out.
4: Whoever goes the furthest, Amy, you know I will be cheering them on. So whether it's the Green and Gold or the Three Lions, I'll be behind both of the teams. Great to be here.
1: Let's jump straight into it because the 2022 World Cup is so close now. The squad's been picked. We've seen the players arriving in Doha. Preparation for the start of this World Cup just days this time around. So let's jump straight into discussing the games themselves. Tommy, you have had a crack at this before. Give us your starting 11 and are you sticking with your guns?
3: Yeah, I think for the most part, I'm sticking with my guns. I think there's definitely a few big question marks about uh, fitness with a lot of the players as well. So obviously, as the first game kind of comes a, get, comes a bit closer, we'll probably have a bit more answers in that regard. But I think obviously Maddie Ryan between the sticks is obviously going to happen. And I think Nathaniel Atkinson has got made the right-back position his own. And obviously, he scored in his last game leading into this tournament. So I think he's definitely... Um, nailed that position down and I think I'd also like to see Kai Rolls and Bailey Wright um, partner each other in the centre half we obviously did so well last time Tommy I've got
4: to stop you there mate I've got to interrupt with that one because I'm having Harry, I'm having Harry Suter in that centre back position after his performance against Stoke I watched Bailey Wright in the last two matches he hasn't played much for Sunderland this season but his last two games he's made two criminal errors to be fair going in now Suter hasn't played as many games he's getting through the fitness but by all accounts the Stoke fans were delighted with his performance and what he showed so I'm going to go with Suter I agree with your right back your goalkeeper and I'm going with Suter just to throw a spanner in the works
1: so I'm not going to ask Schwartzy about his goalkeeper uh choice because I think we've heard enough about that over the last week you've made it pretty clear what you think Schwartzy um are there any positions there you'd, you'd argue with Schwartzy
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm also, I'm not sure about Harry Sutter just yet, only because of the fact that he's played so few football, few minutes of football over the last 12 months. That's my biggest problem. There's no doubt a a fit Harry Sutter would be in the starting 11. That, that's the big concern. He hasn't played, what has he played? 90 minutes and then he's played, he came on in one of the other games. He, um, I I just don't know that's enough after such a long-term injury, uh, to, to justify it. Um, but you know what? The, The other one that I don't, I, I think, could be a shout as well as uh Milos Degenek. I think he could also be one in with a shout. Um so we'll have to wait and see how that goes, but Harry shoulda fit 100% at the moment, not sure.
1: Radio Tommy, continue. Who's in your mids and up front?
3: Yeah, so I think as is Behitch will be the left back. I think Joel King obviously hasn't had too much game time lately and I think everybody's probably in agreement with that one. Um and I think, yeah, the midfield's where it gets a little bit more interesting because, obviously, with Hrustich's recent injury and there was a bit of a cloud about whether he'd be available for the tournament, so, you know, if he's available for the first game, I think that you have to start him. I think he's one of our most you know naturally gifted players, but, um, yeah, there's potential there that if, he, if he's not up for that one that maybe Aaron Moy could play a bit further forward than he often does for the Socceroos as well, so there'll be some interesting dynamics there, but... I think the uh the combination of Moy, Irvine and Hrustic if if fit will will probably get the nod. you
4: have got the same three as I've got in there. The only one that I would say if Hrustic wasn't fit, you could also that that's the the moment of obviously the change in there, but I've got the same three as yourself Tommy in that midfield. Swartzy, happy or changing? I having
2: having seen and met up with uh Aiden Hrustic uh, a couple of weeks ago. He was very, very confident. Um, he actually was even confident that he may even play a game for, for Rotenover before the break, which didn't happen. He was on the bench the last game. Um, but I think uh, I think it will be fit, and and 100%. I, I agree with that midfield, without a doubt.
3: Yeah, and I think further forward, I think it's also going to get interesting as well. I think um, Owen Bill probably has his starting spot nailed on after a really strong performance in the, in the last friendly game we had against New Zealand, but... Um, yeah, I think the other position will be interesting as well. Martin Boyle obviously has an injury cloud around him, and I think that if he's fit, he also has to play
4: for sure. I've got Mobile in there, and then I've I've just basically left it open for if we're playing a four-three-three. I think we've got we've got Duke um, Cummins. And McLaren, I, I just don't, you know, I, I don't see any problem with whoever you go for. And I agree with you, if uh, if Boyle is fit, then he's got a, he's got a go, um, player, basically. But there's a big cloud because there's somebody just being drafted in, I do believe. Is it Tillio's come in just as a bit of a backup, that late call up?
3: Yeah, that's right, just as a train on. And I think they have up until 24 hours before that first game to bring him in if yeah. they need to, so there's a bit so of time there.
4: Bit of a worrying sign there, though, if they're doing that, but um, like you say, the, the, front, the, the front players, I don't think we've got any problem now. I'm, I'm actually I'm, I'm enjoying the, the selection dilemma in that front three.
1: It certainly makes it interesting, doesn't it? And in 2018, uh, we only hit the net two times, and both of those were via penalties, so I feel like there's a lot of pressure on those strikers, Schwartzy.
2: There are, um, always are, uh, and rightly so. They should be because they get off too lightly. These strikers, I tell you, don't they, Mister Bridges? Um, <laughs> but you know what? Uh, it, it's a tough one, isn't it? You know because we've got a history of having phenomenal strikers. You know, Viduka, Cahill. Uh, and also wide players in Kewl, um, up front in the year, many, many, many years ago, not as prolific, but still very, very good for Australia. Graham, Graham Arnold, David Mitchell, all those, you know, could bring up Frank Farina, of course. There's a lot, a lot of players that played in those more attacking roles. I think we are at a point where we're not – also last 2018, we weren't as strong going forward. Um, That is a, a concern, but it is where we are. We are where we are, and uh, I agree with, with the boys in terms of, you know, Boyle, if he's fit, definitely – uh, Awam surprisingly he can get more time uh, at Cardiff uh, in La Liga, but I, I think he's, he's very fit. He's kept himself going. He's worked really, really hard, albeit not the game time you'd want, but I think he'll be ready to go um, and raring to go come that first game.
1: Well, there's those thoughts. Tommy, here's a question for you. Who's going to have a breakout World Cup from the Aussie side?
3: Well, I think the one that I'm... Obviously, Garang calls the one that everybody's talking about. And, um, yeah, I guess there's a, a... It'll be seen how much of a game time or how much of a role he does play in the tournament. There's obviously question marks around that as well. But for me, I think Kai Rolls is one player I'm really excited about watching in this tournament. Uh, obviously, he's had an injury recently, but he's played his last few games with Hearts. But I think that in the qualifiers, to get there, you know, he was a relative unknown to the Australian public, but he dealt with the pressure so well, so... You know, the, the his composure in those games um, makes me think that he won't be overawed by this tournament and yeah, really looking forward to watching him. Yeah.
4: I think it's a massive opportunity for so many players when you're on the world stage. When I mean, you boys have been there; you've experienced it. Everybody is in the shop window to showcase what they're all about, and there's you don't need any more you know incentive than doing that. And I'm a big fan of Irvine, uh, Jackson Irvine. I think if he can have a good World Cup, there might be something in there for him as well, because that you know that that midfield role, the box to box, breaking up play, being involved. I think he can have an impact um, for Australia. Yeah, and they're going to be doing breaking down a lot of attacks. And he's going to be one of the men that's going to be catalyst behind that, especially in that first game against France. He's going to have to help his defensive unit out massively. So I'm I'm wishing him all the best. Can can I go two? Because I've got two actually, and I think, it, and the problem is they've both
2: got injury clouds over them. Uh, Harry Suter, both Uh <laughs> No, you know that would, not a bad idea, but no, Harry Suter um, and Aden Rustic. I, I think. Both of them. We know Harry Siddharth. If, if he'd not been injured, he would have been out of, out of Stoke a long time ago and he would have been elsewhere, probably, probably playing in the Premier League. Um, I think this is an opportunity for him. If he is fit, if he can show the class that he's shown in the past, this could be a really big World Cup for him personally, but also will help contribute for the Socceroos and Adam Rustich as well. Um, I thought he was excellent at times when he had to, when he played for Eintracht Frankfurt, got that, that, that vital experience in European football. Um, and 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 at uh, verona just started to really get going until until he got injured unfortunately but i think again he's he's that quality player um, Tommy mentioned earlier on. He's got, you know, he's got that uh, that extra quality. He's, he, he, I think, he's our most, qual- uh, you know, most talented and 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 uh, technical midfielder. Um, and and he kind of reminds me a little bit of Mark Bresciano in in that aspect of it. Um, can find a pass. Um, everything goes through him. He's got a great shot in him as well. So I'm looking forward to those two playing at the World Cup.
1: Right, Bridgie. What are you most excited for, and what are you most worried about?
4: Most excited for, I'm actually most excited for Cummins, you know, the cum dog. He's he's got an opportunity, he's come to Australia in the A-League, he's been absolutely magnificent, he's absolutely mad as a hatter off the field, but he's, you know, Montgomery's been able to handle that at the Central Coast Mariners he got his chance with the Socceroos he's, he's he's absolutely loved it I've enjoyed watching him off the field as well I think his social media content that he gives he gives an insight as to what is going on I think he's a very very interesting character and I'm sure he's going to make some impact or try to have a, have a say in what goes on during this World Cup I'm excited about him, and the worrying side we've already discussed it. Swarti's happy to see him in there. I want to see him play. It's the injury worry and in the fitness of Harry Suter, and how the defense is going to, uh, how that defensive unit's going to stay strong um, against France. And if you're going to test yourself, the last thing you want is Mbappe running at you. So it's going to be that's the worry for me. How how that first game, if it is Harry Suter, um, goes.
1: Tommy, what do you make of uh, what you're most worried about? And if you had Mbappe running at you, what is a tactic that Arnie should be thinking about?
3: Well, I think there's not a simple answer to that, obviously. But I think, um, yeah, the, the first game, like Bridgie touched on, I think is definitely the big concern. You know, playing France in the first game, it could potentially be a blessing, you know, if they're going in somewhat underdone. But, you know, a heavy defeat in that first game can be damaging for the whole tournament. So that's definitely where where my kind of worries are lying. But... I think that, you know, I don't expect Arnie to have too much. uh, I don't expect him to play a high line against their front three, to be honest. I think there'll be a lot of soaking the pressure and trying to hurt them on the counter-attack as much as possible because I think, you know, having a, a deep back line will obviously negate a lot of the space for the likes of Mbappe to run into and I think that's definitely something that he'll be looking at.
4: Was it a two-one defeat last time these teams met? And if I'm if I'm right, I think Australia should have actually won this blooming game. There was a couple of def- uh, referee incidents as well, I believe. The, the the
2: the second goal, the winning goal for France was, um, I think, it was uh, Paul Pogba's goal was deflected as well. Went high over Matty Ryan's head and went in. Um, he, he made a he made a difference, um, and Giroud. That was Giroud was brought on, and then made a big difference when he when he when he uh, came onto the pitch. And from that moment onwards, basically, he didn't miss another game uh, all the way through to the end. So uh, that was a big big moment. That was a, that was an interesting moment because we, we could have definitely have have got a point out of that, if not possibly even won the game. It was a an interesting one, and it's similar. You know, this time round, we're gonna we're gonna be in a situation where France are not firing on all cylinders. There's obviously question marks. Over, over, you know, the the temperament of the side at the moment, how the, the dynamics are going. Um, you know, Deschamps, has he still got uh, that X factor with the players? Has he still got them all on board? Uh, there's been a lot of rumblings going on. I think Paul Pogba not being there has been massive for them. It's been a massive uh, plus because of all the off-field stuff that's going on surrounding him and his brother and, and so on. So I, I, I think for them that could help them. Uh, but there's still a lot of question marks. But look, there's no doubting... <clears throat> The, amount, the amazing quality that they possess in their squad, even without someone like Kante in midfield.
1: So, do we? Uh, obviously, we're going to be soaking up the pressure at the back and through the middle. Uh, are we expecting the unexpected from Arnie? He's already shocked us, obviously, with um, the red main penalty decision, and then he left out Sainsbury and, and Rogic. Um, does he have any more surprises in store for us? Will he unleash Goran Qual early?
4: Let's hope he does, because he's the one that I want to see set the World Cup He's, you know, he, he, I would. I'm not going to say he's an unknown because we we know about him. Newcastle United have had a go and and signed him as well. So he's got some real good media attention over here in the UK as well. And he embraced himself with the fans um, at Newcastle when he went down to the Fulham game. I'm hoping that he gets an opportunity to showcase himself and shine because I had the, you know, the pleasure of witnessing a young Michael Owen coming through the ranks um, with England. Uh, and I I was between me it was me and Heskey at the time and Michael came through so quickly and we were just looking and admiring this kid going wow what is this all about he was let loose at a world cup and scored that wonder goal against argentina and everybody went what the hell have we just witnessed i want to see a moment like that because you know Kowal showed that um, when the you know when the All Stars game was against Barcelona as well, he came on no fear factor, and then he's he's been absolutely brilliant for Central Coast Mariners as well, scoring a worldy goal the other day. So I'm I'm really excited, and hoping that he's a, a good Plan B, and like Tommy was saying, counter attack, absorb pressure against France, counter attack is the way to go, and he is a flying machine. He's played 16 top flight games. Don't care. He um, played 16 more than Michael Owen had, and they've all come off
2: the bench. Um, and look, Daniel Azani, as the example, look, I'm not, I'm not saying they're the same characters, but there, there, there is a bit of reservation about, about what he can do and how much he can have an impact, um, on this side. Look, I hope he does. I, I hope he, I mean, I hope he, I hope he has a huge impact and I hope he has a breakthrough and it'd be amazing to see. Um, but at the moment, obviously, he, he is that, that little bit of X factor, a little bit of unknown for a lot, a lot of people. Um, but again, I think he's an impact player and only an impact player. But you can yeah, still I can have a great agree, World Cup
4: and be an impact player. Sorry, Tommy, you can still be an impact player, mate. I need me moment. Me and you always have an argument in the game pod and this is it. You can still <laughs> have a massive, massive World Cup and be an impact player. Yeah, I know. You can.
2: Absolutely you can. Um, but, but generally speaking, it's, it's, it's of a player of a different level, coming out of a different league, playing in a different, you know. I, I just think it's a really, it's an enormous step up. It's a normal step up when you're playing week in, week out, let alone when you are a bit part player for your club team. Look, I hope I'm wrong. I hope he turns around and says, do you, you are so wrong. Absolutely. (laughs) But I I, I don't think it's going to necessarily be the case. Look, I hope he comes on and makes a massive difference and and has a huge impact um, and we win games because of it.
3: Yeah, I think the most likely situation we'll see him get a run is if we're trailing and you know, 70-minute mark or whatever it might be, he'll come on, but... You know, if if we're in control of a game or we're drawing or whatever the situation might be, I don't expect Arnie to put him in. I think he'll be the the, the card you play when, you know, there's nothing to lose is sort of that situation. So whilst I kind of understand Schwartz's situation, you know, we saw on the weekend the amazing goal he scored and obviously, like you mentioned, the step-up is massive. But I think the, the the reason everybody's so excited about him is it doesn't matter what situation he's kind of been thrown in, he's, he's found a way to stand out. So is obviously hoping he can do it one more time.
1: All right. Well, let's have a look at this whole group, shall we? Australia, France, Denmark, Tunisia. Some similarities here, obviously, to 2018. Uh, We've had a crack at a couple of these teams before. But how do, Schwartzie? how do the Socceroos get out of this group?
2: (laughs) Good question. How do they get out of the group? Uh, France France is... uh, I mean, France is just one of those ones we mentioned, we, t- we talked about just then, is that whether or not they are going to be firing all cylinders, whether or not they're going to be hitting the ground running. I don't think so. I, I-, I think they're going to be a slow burner. I think they're going to take time. They're going to rely on individual uh, talent to possibly break the Socceroos down, to do something special to get that result. Um, so long as we stay compact um, and we try and, nullify them but you can't sit the thing about the soccer rules, they can't be just compact and sit off they have to engage with them they have to put pressure on the ball but at the right time you know when they're back to to the goal when they're receiving the ball they've got to just get close enough to them to have an impact um can they get out of the group look um on paper no but in reality there's anything possible right Denmark I think are a better side than they were in 2018 um I think France the jury's out whether they are or not. But 2018, they won the World Cup. But so even if they're only half as good as they were in 2018, they're still going to do well. Um, so the bar is incredibly high. And Tunisia obviously is 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 a big factor of, of unknown, right? So, but they 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 certainly no slouches coming out of uh, Afcon. So uh, it's going to be really really tough, and it's going to be really really tough to win our first game since 2010. But I hope we can do it.
3: Yeah, I completely agree. I think that second game against Tunisia is looming as the must win if we're going to get out of the group. Um, That's obviously, you know, like Swatchy said, it's a bit of an unknown what to expect from them. But, you know, looking on paper, I think for us to have any chance, that's a must win. And, you know, you never know what's going to happen in the other two games. On paper, we probably lose both. But four points, obviously, historically, has been enough to get through the group. So you know, a win against Tunisia, and then you're going into the last game with something to play for potentially as well.
2: Well, four points is only good enough so long as you don't lose the first game, as long as you don't get hammered in the first game, right? Because that's what happened in 2010. We got, we got hammered by Germany 4-0, and we still finished on four points and got knocked out. Whereas four years earlier, we finished on four points but qualified so we only lost two nil to Brazil. So they're, they're the difference. They're the small margins, fine margins. So that first game, like you mentioned, Tommy, is crucial. Crucial. We don't get we get we don't get um, if we're going to lose, we don't get beaten convincingly. Uh, we only lose by the odd goal or two, and that's it. Um, and then the rest is set up. That second game then becomes
4: our final. Absolutely easy. Bridges banker here. Nil nil draw with France. One nil win over Tunisia. Nil nil draw with Denmark. See you later through to the next stages. Easy as that.
1: Look at you. Look at you, Bridgie. Is Denmark a bit of a dark horse? Like we, you've just said, Schwartz, you think they're better than they were last time. We had a one-all draw with them last time. Again, a penalty for Australia. Um, can how can we beat them?
2: How can we beat them? We've got to be at our very best. We actually got to have players exceeding their very best. Um, I think if you you look at Denmark, you're all over the pitch. They've got players of, of extreme quality playing at high levels all across Europe. Um, they've been together and playing at intense levels. Euros, they were. Uh, Remarkable, their recovery after what happened with Ericsson. Absolutely remarkable. And then Ericsson, I think... Is arguably playing some of his best football now than he than he has um, for a very long long time. Certainly, when he went to when, at the back end of his time at, at Tottenham, and then once he went to Inter Milan, he was nowhere near this level. And I think he's found a home firstly at uh, Brentford last season, but also m- now at United. He's he's certainly one of their best players. So that that's going to be the big challenge nullifying uh, um, you know him, Ericsson. and that's really tough to do because. Teams struggle to do it week in,
4: week out in the in the Premier League, which is one of the best in the world. And do you know what they've done recently as well? They've beaten France twice this year in the Nations League. So Denmark, don't don't think about these coming up and saying it's going to be France top of the group. This team could finish top of this group, and um, France could finish second. I'm, not, I'm just not quite sure though. Like if we can go off the back of the Nations League,
2: that's that's the only thing I would say. Um, Nations leagues came really, really quick after the Euros, so I'm I'm not I'm just not convinced that that's a real fair indicator of, of where teams are so France and Germany are the great best examples I, th- I can use with those two because both of them had horrendous Nation League uh, games uh, tournaments and, and I think yeah well England didn't do well either but so I think and that's what everyone kind of is an a downer right so English fans are like We've got no chance of winning the World Cup because England didn't perform well at the Nations League um, that could be also the kick up the backside they need, right? So it could be the readjustment they need. Um, but certainly with Germany, look, uh, Germany, I think are, are very much in the right in the right direction. France, what worries me is Duchamp being there for so long and have the players. Is that over with? Is that time up with? It should have been already. It was a bit like Yogi love going to 2018 World Cup and then going to the Euros with Germany. That, that should have never happened. It should have changed earlier. And it was obvious for me that Germany were never going to do well. I'm not, I'm not sure France are quite there yet, but that worries me. It may be, may be the
4: case.
1: Well, they also have the injuries piling up too. Uh, Presnel Kim Pempe, the latest player to be ruled out, Reggie.
4: Yeah, I mean, Sporty's just touched on it. They, they've got a lot of things going off the field, the injuries that they've got. Um, you know, I, the, I think the only satisfying thing for me, if I'm looking as a as a French fan, would be that um, Benzema's situation has been sorted out and he's he's been back in the French national squad, scoring goals, and that is a blessing. But the rest of it, the you know the the, the thing that's going on with the allegations behind the scenes, the image right dispute with Mbappe, Pogba um, out, uh, it's just an absolute shambles. Didier Deschamps, like you said, passed his sell-by date with the French national team, possibly. Uh, who knows? They are, I, I think France are there for the taking. The
2: other, the other thing is Giroud is absolutely on fire as well. I mean he's in the best goal scoring form that he's been in for for many many years at AC Milan. So I mean at the time when he probably won't he probably won't get much game time because of Benzema.
3: Yeah, I think that the 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 if France can find a way to, you know, get Mbappe and Benzema firing on all cylinders, then they got they're a chance to win the whole tournament, but they haven't managed to do that so far. So there definitely is hope there for the Socceroos fans, but at the same time, obviously, cautious.
1: I think our biggest hope sits in the match against Tunisia. Um, there's an expectation Australia will win this match. We're ranked 48th. They're ranked 30th. It's, it's the closest we appear in ranking. Uh, it's doable, isn't it, shorty
2: It is. Um, it certainly. I mean, the rankings of one, you know, like I'm, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan with the way that the ranking system is. Um, <clears throat> certainly, you get more points through, I think, AFCON than you do at uh, playing in an Asian confederation. All sorts of stuff. So I'm, look, I, I, no doubt Tunisia are a a pretty decent side. And, and you're right. It is Australia's best chance to win the game, um, at the World Cup. And it's a game that we need to win. And, and, and look, there's no doubt about Tunisia will be looking at it as, as their game that they're going to win. That's their banker. They'll, they'll be looking at the game against Socceroos as, yeah, that's the three points we've got. We've just got to get a point elsewhere. And, and that, that could be our biggest plus, right? That Tunisia underestimate this and think
4: that they've got a banker of, of a guaranteed three points against us. Well, they're still looking for their first taste of knockout to get through the knockout rounds. And um, I I was looking at their their fixtures and their results. Now, they were coming off the defeat of Brazil 5-1. But preceding that, you know, they'd gone a seven-game unbeaten run, which included a 2-0 win over Chile and a 3-0 win over Japan in the Kirin Cup earlier this year. So, again, it, it might be one of them or it was a kind of friendly fixtures, however you want to look at it. But... They have got the pedigree to um, to know that they are there on merit, and they are here not just to sit back and be rolled over. So, again, I think a, a very very strong team, and like you say, they, they'll be looking to try and qualify from the group for the first time in their um, their history.
3: Yeah, I I completely agree. I think that obviously this is our best chance to for us to get a good result in the tournament. But at the same time, I think it'll be a very different challenge to the other two teams. You know, I expect obviously against France and Denmark to obviously do spend a lot of time on the back foot defending, soaking up pressure, whereas I think a cornerstone of Tunisia's kind of qualifying campaign was their defensive solidarity, and they didn't concede many goals, and they kind of launched their counterattacks, and they have a, a really quick, potent front three, but defence is the cornerstone of their style of play. So I think there'll be more opportunity in that game for the Socceroos to have a bit of the ball and have maybe dictate the play more than the other two games. So I'm
1: also looking forward to watching that. Well, let's hope the soccerers get all three points there and manage to pick up at least another point either against France or Denmark because if they make it through, they match up with a team from Group C in the round of 16. That group includes Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico and Poland. So a difficult task uh, absolutely at hand. Let's talk about some of the other contenders, though, at this World Cup. Uh Let's talk about who wins and uh, who wins and why they win as we quickly go round the circle. Bridgie.
4: I've got my predictor for the World Cup up in front of us. I'm going to get the wall chart on my bedroom wall as well. I love all that kind of stuff. Got to get into the World Cup fever. Now, I've got in the final on my predictor here, I've got Brazil playing England, can you believe, in the final. And I've got Brazil down to win. So I cannot believe I'm actually saying that. I would love it if England would win. But I've got Brazil. Now England play France in mine in the quarterfinals. And I had England beating France and Spain beating Portugal. So England to take on Spain in the semis. So there you go. And the other semi-final I had on the other side of the draw was Argentina-Brazil. And Brazil come through that. So there you go. Brazil to win the tournament. Well. I c I couldn't agree less with you. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm
2: I'm predicting. Yeah, I'm gonna predict a Germany against France final. Of course you are. And uh Of course I am. absolutely. Um and I also and this is why I go back to what I said about the uh you know, the Nations League and, and how relevant that really is. Um I think Hansi Flick, for example, is the new manager of Germany, or relatively new manager from Germany, took over from Jogi Löw, has turned the team around completely um, in the qualifications. They cruised to qualification. They were absolutely uh, uh, sensational in that. Nation League didn't go to plan. Absolutely not. Um, they were. That's where the question marks have been raised. The problem they've got is they've found out that they're struggling with an out-and-out number nine. They don't really have one um so that's going to be their biggest challenge is how they're going to score i mean not how they're going to score how they're going to set up are they going to be too predictable have other times gone by where or sorry have have the times changed where you don't actually have um you know the 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 false nine does that still work for you you know is that something that, that that teams have now found out do you need to have that nine you look at uh, you look at France winning the World Cup last time round. They had that number nine, that a target man. And when you look at Germany, they don't have one. Um, but they've got a lot of youngsters. I mean, Jamal Musiala for me is potentially his breakthrough tournament. He's a phenomenal player. He's done incredibly well. Assists have been insane for Bayern Munich, uh, and he also scores goals. Uh, Karim adam who's at uh, who's at Dortmund, who's also a real talented player. He's also very young. Uh, And Yusuf uh, Mukoko, He's only I think he's 18 years old I think he is, Or 17 even still Um, And he's leading the line For Borussia Dortmund And he's been Absolutely sensational So They could be also A bit of bolters For for Germany So I I fancy Germany They've got a good They've got a good Balance of experience Neuer um, Rudiger You've got uh, Kimmich Müller in their side So they've still got A good balance of experience But they've also got That real youth and, And real talented Players coming through
3: yeah, I think my my pick's Argentina for this World Cup. I think um, obviously we saw what they did at the Copa America not too long ago and I think that the thing that stands out from Argentina teams gone by is their defensive uh, solidarity. And I think they're a really hard team to break down and obviously with the likes of Messi, Di Maria, these types of players going forward, you're always a chance to score goals. So I really like that, the look of that kind of combination and I think you know maybe this is Messi's last World Cup and I think the players will want to do it for him.
4: Thirty five games unbeaten. Absolutely scary. I've just as you mentioned Argentina there, I'm just thinking, oh, I've just gone and had a look at the stats. That is um that's super impressive. Okay. Yeah you've sold it more than Swarty sold Germany.
1: <laughs> Bridgie, you you think England's gonna go far in this tournament, so uh, you've said they're gonna make it to the final, but they've been in a bit of a slump over the last twelve months and there's some conjecture over whether this will be Gareth Southgate's last tournament.
4: Yeah, we touched on that before with the Nations League. And like you say, um, it, it it's not good when you are having having a bit of a slump before because qualification was magnificent. Um, the Nations League has basically glorified friendlies just to make a competition of it. it. They're testing players, they're testing systems and things like that. And um, I'd, it is something to go off because confidence in the camp, if you're losing them games, will, will affect some of the the players in there. Um, obviously, the fans take it, and the, everybody is a bit bit down in the dumps going into this one, but I think that they 're going to go in there they 're going to have the pedigree and the The question about will it be southgate 's last tournament? I think England will do very well, like I said, but southgate 's tournament mark knows him more and Mark knows him better than I do i don 't think Southgate would step down as the England manager. Um, I think he would have to be sacked. Now, if they don't qualify at the group, he will be gone. I've got one for you, Mark. If they, if England go on to win it, would he bow out himself, um, knowing that he couldn't do much more? Would he have another go? Because you know him a lot better than others. I think if they were going on to win it, or I, I, look, I think if England get to a semi-final and beyond,
2: I think he'll stay on. And I don't think the FA will want to let him go. I think he'll definitely want to stay on. If he wins it, look, who knows? Um you know, which which manager winning a World Cup has ever repeated it? I, I, I mean, it probably is, that's a good one for the stats, but I don't, I can't remember one where they've backed it up and, and the same managers won it twice in a row. Um, but I, I don't, th- I, look, if he wins it, who knows, but I, I would think he would probably still continue because he's still got Euros to go, you know, uh, I think he'd be feeling like he's got something to build upon and they can only get bats out with the young players coming through. Back to what Bridgie said there, the point about he doesn't think Gareth Southgate would would step down. I actually think he would. If I have a bad tournament, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he stood down, or at least it'll make out as if he stood down. But there'll be some sort of agreement in place. Um, I don't think he's one of those. Like it's not like a club team where we'll just hang around and hang around until he gets sacked.
3: Yeah, it's probably the 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 job with the highest scrutiny in the world as well. So whether he still has the stomach for it, you know, obviously depending how they perform, but that's another question again. Um, but. In terms of England's kind of prospects for this tournament, I'm, I'm completely on the same page. I think they're, they're a definite chance. And, you know, they've got so many talented young players. You've seen Saka this season at Arsenal. I'm really excited to watch him play in this tournament. And, and I think that, yeah, that they've kind of got that blend of experience. And obviously there was a bit of controversy and discussion around Harry Maguire um, being included. But I still think that, you know, he'll be at the heart of the defence. And I think he might prove a lot of doubters wrong as well. So really looking forward to watching them play.
0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: You mentioned you can't wait to watch um, Saka play Tommy. Let's talk about the young guns and those players who will be household names by the end of the tournament. Who uh, out of this World Cup from anywhere is going to step up to the next level?
3: For me, I think Pedri, the from Spain. I think that obviously we've seen glimpses of him in Barcelona, um, and we know what he's about. He's to technically such a talented player, and you know, Spain's a country that no one's really talking about in this tournament um, as as being a chance to win it. And I think that kind of might fit them well—a little bit of less pressure going in. But I think, yeah, he, he's a player. You know, if he can have a kind of Luka Modric-style tournament from the last, you know, World Cup, I think that that can propel him from being, you know, one of the the biggest talents in the world to one of the the most, you know, to one of the best players in the world, basically, and I think he's got all the right ingredients
4: there, and I'm just looking forward to watching him play. Tommy I absolutely love him I could watch him all day long Pedri he's just a master class on the ball he, he never loses his engine his work rate he just seems to make a pass and then he actually gets on the end of his own pass he, he, I don't know how he's just incredible I absolutely love him so I agree with you there then, the one Jude Bellingham for England Anthony of Brazil and the other one that's a, a standout for me is again another Spaniard as Gavi I think he is going to be an, another player that um, is going to do wonders at this World Cup and become a household name. And I'll leave the German man to yourself, Swartzy. Well, yeah. I- I'm-, I'm torn between... like If you talk
2: about breakout, breakout, I mean, Jamal Musiala, I think, is well known enough. Um, but I think, like I said, I think he'll have a, a wonderful tournament. The one I'm going to go with, and he-, and he is another German, of course, and I mentioned him before, Yusufa Makoko He's 17 years old. And he's absolutely on fire. He's absolutely rapid... Um, he's strong, holds the ball up really well, but he's a great finisher, and uh, I fancy him to actually have a really big tournament as well and have that breakthrough. He's he's co- he's had a contract at the end of the season as well.
1: All right, what will be the biggest shock? The biggest upset or the biggest shock of this uh, World Cup, Bridgie?
4: I've got one for you. It's going to be Cristiano Ronaldo doing a press conference about Fernando Santos and his country, saying how bad everything is behind the scenes, and it's nothing to do with him. How they got exited? It's all to do with the manager and everybody else behind the scenes. There you go. Did you see? Did you see um, uh, his meeting with the, the Portuguese side when he walked in?
2: And, uh, sorry, he was there getting changed. He was actually already cha- changed, and um, Bruno Fernandes came in. And he he just sort of like tapped him on the shoulder or on the arm, and then uh, continued to to talk to other people. And Ronaldo's grabbed him, wanted to shake his hand, and he's looking at him like, "Shake my hand." And then Bruno Fernandes sort of like reluctantly kind of shook hands with him, and it's like he doesn't he really engages with him for a very split second, and then turns away and walks away. And 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 Ronaldo looks a little bit miffed. Do you
4: think there was something in that Or Was that just the way it's been? being showcased the way they slowed the image down look I think it's a hard one for for Bruno
2: Fernandes right I, I, I don't, look I think what Ronaldo did is is terrible I think what he's come out and done in an in interview is there's no way back and I don't you know he's not naive to know that that, that that's not the case and that's what his intention was Um but it's just for me. It reeks of just a sport, little little kid, and trying to to make out as if it's not his fault at all where he is and how he's been. Uh, he's not involved. It's other people's fault, never his fault. Um, and and I think as a teammate, you wouldn't be happy with someone doing that, surely. As a teammate, you'd be. Look, I understand you're you're annoyed and everything else, but to do that is wrong.
4: Just be careful I, because you'll be trying wrong. to make a name for yourself using his name to make yourself better like he suggested Gary Neville is. So just be careful, Swartz. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Oops, who are we talking about?
1: We were going to discuss uh, Cristiano Ronaldo in just a moment. We might touch back on it in a second, but if I could stick with the World Cup, please, just for a a minute. (laughs) This is is the craziest World Cup we've ever seen um, for so many reasons, Uh, where it's based, the time it's based, uh, where people are staying, the accommodation, some of the stories we're hearing about who's invited, who's not. um, How different will it be? In that regard, but also let's talk about Jackson Irvine and Australia being one of the first nations to speak out um, about having the World Cup in Qatar, and and could this change football?
3: Yeah, I think what Jackson and obviously the, all the all the players did through the PFA was fantastic, and you know we we didn't wait for any other other country to do it. We kind of um, took the responsibility on upon ourselves to to know, yeah, make a stand and. Obviously, there's been a lot of discussion around this World Cup for many years now leading into it, and now that it's kind of getting closer, it's all coming to fruition. Um, But, yeah, for me, you know, obviously, I think this will be a a remembered World Cup um, for maybe, I think there'll be a lot of political stands made and these types of things, and it won't necessarily be for the football. and I think that's definitely why it will stand out, you know, in, in five or six years. People will look back at the Qatar World Cup and think about the off-field things. But at the same time, I think, uh, you know, people not boycotting, which is obviously being uh, mentioned in the media, why, why are teams turning up to play? I think that kind of ships sail. But, you know, going to Qatar and using it as a platform to actually make a difference for the for the migrant workers and make the changes that everybody wants to see there is a much more kind of, yeah a better option and i think will produce better outcomes so from the political end i think there's been a lot of criticism and a lot of discussion around that but i think that what the Socceroos did and uh, hopefully other teams will follow suit with is fantastic
4: i'm just really excited for the matches to start you know there's no doubt about it, the football is going to be magnificent We're watching the best players in the world however like tommy said we don't know what is going to go on what's the crowd situation going to be like is there going to be many people there that are actual fans of the teams that are going to be playing or are they going to be like, as, as it's been suggested in the media outlets, is there people there that are locals that are going to be supporting teams because they've been told to do that? Is there going to be protests going on? We don't know. It's the first time this has happened. Only time will tell. But what I am looking forward to is the amazing football and goals that we are going to see. And the thing about it is, yeah, look,
2: I think what Australia did was, uh, admirable. And, uh, without directly criticizing anyone but trying to create an awareness and support for migrant workers in particular um i thought was 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 very tasteful and i, I don't think it's going to stop we saw the us just i think a couple of days ago announced that they're changing the their crest by adding the uh, lgbt colors to their crest and uh, rather than the single red stripe or the red stripes they got the multiple colors and uh i think well that will continue to happen throughout all up until the first games of the tournament. And I agree uh, with Tommy. I think there will be ongoing things that will happen. The the thing that strikes me the most about this World Cup is how controlled everything is. People's entry into the country, um, lacking lacking room, lacking uh, uh, hotels. It's not going to be a World Cup um, that we're used to seeing with just hundreds of thousands of people there because they want to be involved in the the atmosphere and experience it we're just not going to see that because it's so controlled and that's the thing that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out and how that affects the atmosphere is it going to be a world cup that is really exciting to be at and feel like a world cup or is it going to be something that is just going to feel controlled from day one to the end um, so I'll, I'll, let you know next week when I'm, well, this, in the next couple of days, I'll be there. And next week when I speak to you guys again, I'll let you know what it's like and, and how that feeling is on the ground. Uh, but my, my general feeling at the moment is everything is incredibly controlled. Yeah, finefully. Nice fingers Bridget. crossed. That's Thank you. That's, that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me, Bridgie. Thank you, Michael.
1: All right. I'd like you to get your crystal balls out for me now. And I think we've talked about who you think's going to make it to the final. But we're going to flick through these quite quickly, all four of us, if that's okay. Um, we're going to start with your dark horse, Bridgie.
4: Wales. I think Wales have got a few players that can turn up and uh, excite uh, and entertain and get a result. And they've got players like yeah, Gareth Bale, Ramsey's... Kiefer Moore probably playing in their last World Cup, so I want to leave a stance there. So I'm I'm seeing this you know, they've they've got a hell of a chance to um to, to not to win it, but to show people what they can do and, and go find the tournament. I'm gonna go with Canada. I'm fancying Canada. Um one
2: big reason is Alfonso Davies up front. Uh well sorry, up front, left back. Um be surprised if he plays at left back, actually. I think he'll probably play left midfield. He'll probably play everywhere because he's that good and that quick. Um, and I think uh, he's going to have a big part to play, and they've got a lot, a lot of talented young players coming through as well. Um, and also, I think he's the only manager, uh, Englishman, who's managed also the, the the women's team as well as the men's team uh, at this World Cup. So. Looking forward to seeing Canada, and I will be at uh, one of their games um, at the tournament as well, which I'm really looking forward to, against Belgium.
3: Yep, for me, it's the Netherlands, actually. I think that, obviously, Louis van Gaal back in charge of the Netherlands for the first time in a long time in the World Cup, and obviously all the experience that he brings. But I think, you know, their defensive uh, lineup, you know, with the likes of De Ligt and uh, Van Dijk, These types of players, I think that they're going to be a team that can maybe surprise a lot of people.
1: And I have gone with Serbia, which I know is way out there, but they have been flying under the radar. I think they've got a few players that can stand up, and uh, I think they're going to be a little bit like Croatia was previously, so I've gone with Serbia. Let's talk about your biggest flops. Uh, You can pick a team or a player. I have gone with France because I do believe they have the propensity to implode. I'm hoping that they flop, and I hope that that benefits Australia. But uh, Bridgie?
4: Belgium, for me, um, you know, always promise so much. The high in the rankings, when it comes to big tournaments, they absolutely flop, and they're going to flop again. Is that a flop, though? Like, is it a flop because we're expecting them to flop anyway? Like, really? Because <laughs> oh, they flopped yeah, every other time, like you just said. How can you be such a high ranking and, and, and get in? So, yeah, they're going to flop again.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stick with Group F, and I'm going to say Croatia. I think Croatia... Flop from 2018 because they're not going to make the final. Certainly, uh, I just think it's a tournament too far for some of their players. I and mean, as good as Luka Modric is and all that, I just don't think Croatia will have. it. And I don't think they'll qualify because I think Belgium and Canada will will finish one two in that group.
3: I'm on the same page as Bridgie. I think this is Belgium's going to disappoint in this tournament. I think that you know the last World Cup that was their chance and they didn't do it. And now obviously a lot of their players are getting on and. I still think they have a lot of the lofty expectations, at least, you know, in their own country for sure, surrounding them, but probably without the squad.
1: So the floppiest of flops goes to Belgium. Let's talk about the golden ball, shall we? (laughs) Bridgie, who's going to win the golden ball?
4: I've gone with Vinicius Junior. I've loved watching him for Real Madrid. I think he can have a fantastic tournament. Everybody wants to see an exciting player. He is up there with the best. He's my pick. Well, I'm not even going to go with a striker, He's an attacking player,
2: well known for his (laughs) assists, and I've already said that I think he's going to be brilliant. Um, Jamal Musiala, I think he's the one that's going to be player of the tournament. I think he's he's exceptional, and he'll be standout player because I said he's going to win the tournament. So. Um, I'm looking at it. I've been speaking to him and I'm trying to get him on board.
3: <laughs> yeah, for for me, I've gone with Messi. Obviously, I, I picked Argentina to win it and I think if they're going to win it, he's the one that's going to have to to lead them the way there, so I've gone with him.
1: A man after my own heart, Tommy. I, too, have chosen Messi, but it's the romantic in me because I'd like to see him go out uh, with a big bang. Uh, let's talk about banging goals into the back of the net, the Golden Boot. Uh, Bridgie, I'm going to pick a name that you've already picked in Vinny Jr. Um, I think he's going to – I think the group stage is super important when it comes to scoring goals for the Golden Boot, and so I've gone there. Uh, Tommy, we're going to start with you on this one.
3: Yeah, I've gone with Messi again. I think obviously boring answer potentially, but I think that um, yeah, I think that he's going to win the Golden Boot. I think like obviously in the qualifying and in the Copa America, he was at the forefront of everything. You know, obviously defensively they're so compact, but you know having the likes of um, you know Di Maria these types of players on the break, I think that it's all or their whole game plan is going to be about Messi and getting him in positions to score goals. So. Well,
2: I'm gonna go with Har- I'm gonna go with Michael Bridges' love child harry kane um because i think england will go far enough in the tournament which will enable harry kane to score uh enough goals to be a leading goal scorer because i I actually i I think he's a top class player and i think he's playing well and it's his tournament and england obviously off the not off the radar a little bit but expectations are not as high from people i look at their group i think he'll score a bag full already in his group alone Um, so yeah I'm
4: going Harry Kane I can sleep well tonight man yes you've made my night absolutely brilliant Um, do you know what it is I had Harry Kane but I'm changing it now because we can't have two Harry Kanes I want to say Mbappe for France then to give Harry the Kane the challenger I don't want to jinx him Mbappe, and I'm sorry because I know he's in Australia's group, but I do think he'll get a bag full of goals in the group stages.
1: Well, that'll make our, that'll make our hearts stop, Bridgie, for the next question because if Mbappe scores a bag full of goals, uh, it may have an impact on the next question. That is Australia's final placing at this World Cup.
4: Third in the group, I have them. Unfortunately, take away Socceroos boys.
3: <laughs> no
1: cheerleaders, no cheerleaders here. <laughs> Tommy, just a giggle from you.
3: No, I think uh, obviously my heart's hoping we can progress, but my head's on the same page as Bridgie. I think that we'll have a a really good showing uh, in this World Cup, and obviously I'm hopeful we can win that second game against Tunisia. But I think we'll fall just fall just short of getting out of the group.
2: Yeah, I'm agreeing with you guys as well. I, I yeah, I just can't see. Look, you got France and Denmark and I just can't see anything else. Um I think even France have an off day. We've seen it before they had an off day against us twenty eighteen and they still beat us and because they were lucky at times as well. Uh but you do also earn your own luck. Um and I think yeah, I think I'm hoping for a third place and Winning our first game, I mentioned it a couple of times tonight. Uh, winning, winning our first game since 2010 because we need to get back to winning ways. We can't go, we can't go. Uh, what is it? Three World Cups without uh, winning a game. Come on, Amy, change the mindset.
1: Forever the optimist. Um, I'll, I've got my, I'll have my soccer is kit on. I'll be banging my drum. I, I think we're going to scrape through to the round of 16, and uh, we're going to face Argentina and get knocked out. So I'm going for 15th. We're going for 15th. I just, I'm hope, I'm hoping that France implodes. I know in my head that probably won't happen. So I hope that we beat Denmark. Um, and Tunisia, and that uh, it finishes France, one, us two, and, and I know that that sees us meet Argentina, and I think the journey will end there. So that's my crystal ball. I, I know I'm an optimist. I don't care. We're going to score some goals at this World Cup, but um, I, yeah, that's where I want it. That's where I want it to at least end up. So, all right, let's switch focus now because uh, the World Cup obviously is fast approaching. But in the Premier League, there's been a little bit of news, and we touched on it before with Cristiano Ronaldo this week, delivering that extraordinary interview with Piers Morgan where he completely unloaded on uh, my favourite team Manchester United I'm not sure if I'm disowning him yet or not I still have respect for him as a player but as a teamie I don't really Um, have you guys ever seen anything like this before?
2: Toys out of the pram just complete dummy spat I I, I just think it's appalling I really do and am I surprised? I'm actually not surprised because I always felt that when Ronaldo, when everything was going well, he's like come across as as you know has been amazing and everything else. But the minute things have started to turn on him a little bit, he's got a little bit nasty, and I just think it's really unprofessional, really poor. Doesn't matter, you know. If if you feel that way, you shouldn't be voicing it, or maybe voice it later on. Shouldn't be doing it now. Um, you know, be big enough to go and speak to the club and say, look, it's not working. You know, and and do it all properly, do it all the right way. And and, and I think he's let himself down he's let everyone down and people who support him now I, I find it really bizarre I don't know how many people I, I've even Rio Ferdinand has stopped supporting him now
1: and this is the point isn't it because what is he trying to achieve Bridgie? all this is really doing for me is tarnishing a great legacy yeah,
4: that's exactly what he's done and uh, you, th- you think what he's done he, you know people like Zlatan Ibrahimovic I still admire them they, they, they've gone through and we all at some point come to the end of our career some it's through injury early on some can go on like like Zlatan like Mark Swartzer did you know they go on to play in their 40s Zlatan and the lads have done it gracefully they know that they've become bit part players and they can still make an impact but when you're not getting picked and Ronaldo this season walking off down the tunnel it is certain things you're meant to be setting examples and being role models and I think that they've not only have the let that side of them down but then to come out and do an interview where you, you're slagging off the, the teammates, ex-players that have been legends at that football club uh, everything about it, it just stinks for me and what it stinks of is him, a desperate man who's trying to force a move through to get what he wants in January after the World Cup because he's done it at the the time when there's a break and I wouldn't be surprised if we see him in the MLS I don't think there's many Champions League clubs will take him. I think he could be going to America for the start of the season next year and he's just wanting to get sacked and get terminated because that's the only thing that I can think about. And the other strange thing for me was why he did it with P.S. Morgan and not Oprah Winfrey. That really let me down. <laughs> <laughs> I, I what I don't understand
2: is like if he wants to go, he doesn't have to do that. I'm I'm sure if he'd gone behind the behind the scenes and gone to the club and said, Look, I want out, it's not happening, it's not working it's better for you better for me Let, let's just go and instead he has to come out and, and 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 basically you know just have a complete rant and a dummy spit and look the platform he's doing it on as well let's not even go there it's just it, it, the whole thing just is, for me it's like it's weak and it's unprofessional um and it's it's
4: it's it, i think it's i think it's embarrassing actually uh, it, like I, I can't you, even absolutely i can't watch on. it it's it, embarrassing it, it, it is embarrassing and i think every manchester united player at that football club will be absolutely disgusting what he's done.
3: Yeah, it's extremely selfish. And I mean, the, obviously football aside, everybody knows what he's done in his career and it's been amazing, but I think he's always been a player for himself. And I think that's the most evident thing here as well.
2: The thing about it as well is you've got to think about this guy is an absolute global ledge, like he's an icon, right? And and Manchester United was a coming home. He uh, owes everything to Manchester United. That's where it all began. He knows how many like millions of Manchester United fans if you just talk about Manchester United itself if he really cared about the club and knew how much and he knows how many how much many United fans idolise him to come out and, and bad mouth the club like he has and behave like he has that's just completely thrown it all in their face and completely disrespected the club and it just shows you he doesn't care all he cares about is himself it's just a really really selfish and and
4: uh, ugly ugly interview Well, cue Amy, the Man United fan.
1: Yeah, thanks, because I I think what it's done for me actually is show what a great role model he's not uh, to the next generation coming through and to my kids who also absolutely idolise him. I I don't want them to see this and I don't really want to talk about with them because I don't think – Um, It's becoming of any professional footballer to be behaving like that. Uh, Speaking of that, Manchester United sitting fifth on the table. uh, Leading the way at this World Cup break is Arsenal. Five points clear at the top uh, after their uh, two-goal win over Wolves. Um, Man City, and I can't believe I'm saying this, Bridget, Newcastle in third, Tottenham fourth. Are we going to see, just quickly, Arsenal stay there for the rest of the season? Schwarzie.
2: I think there's a chance, you know. Um, people keep saying it, like they're only, you know, they're only an injury away. Of course, a lot of teams are only an injury away. Obviously, Man City are probably not. But then, look, if, if Man City lost Haaland, uh, then they're a different Man City again, right? So th- what's given Man City a bit of an X factor, and I say that, and they've, they've been losing games, is that Haaland's on his side. Um, Arsenal, com- unbelievable team morale, the way that Arteta's got this group of players playing. He's got rid of all the bad eggs he wanted to get rid of. He's brought in some other players. Saliba's been excellent. Erdegaard, captain, has been brilliant. Sinchenko's been amazing for them um and uh jesus has done his job even though he's not scoring a lot of goals necessarily but he's been a huge had a huge impact at the club on and off the pitch which i know because i know one of the coaches there and he spoke very very highly of the impact that not only him but sinchenko's had at the club so i can see arsenal staying there w- will they win the league who knows look i mean man city on paper should win it but you know why not why why can't Arsenal in it. They're, they're there because they deserve to be there and, and they've been the best team so far in the, in the in the league.
4: Very exciting. I'm loving it that the Premier League is not just seeing Man City and Liverpool running away with it and them challenging. We've got a new contender in town and Arsenal. They've been brilliant, like Sportsy said. Um, stuck by Arteta. Love that. Man City are still going to be there, pushing right away at the end of the season. Newcastle United sitting in third are going to spend in January. They'll have Isak fit again as well. So that'll be like a new player coming back. I think they're still going to be in with a challenge because their home record is phenomenal. And then in in Tottenham, I think when they come back from the break, the players are going to suggest to Conte, can we just go one goal or two goal down at the start of every game? Because then we will come back to win three or four, two, because it's the only time to play attractive football when they're 2 nil down. There you go. It's so not it's happening on.
2: though. It's not happening. Spurs. Spurs haven't got enough to do that. They can't keep doing that. There's no way in the world, as you know, that no team can do that and win the league like week after week. And I'm surprised you actually said it's brilliant to see Arsenal. They've been a Spurs fan. That must have really hurt you, Bridgie. So I, well
4: done to you. they playing attractive football. I've got I, no problem with when when At I admire the beginning of the
1: team. show, he's the only man that unabashedly supports yeah. more than one team. Yeah, I I tell but I, you know what?
2: I, I don't also them. think I admire Newcastle. Them. I also think Newcastle January transfer window, like for everyone, is is huge, right? But but I think it's even bigger for Newcastle. If they can get two or three players of real quality, and I'm not saying going and having to spend like stupid amounts of money to try and get big-name players, because they haven't done that, right? So they've done, done it really, really well. If they can get another two or three really quality players,
4: they could be in with a sneaky chance. Just quietly, they were absolutely gutted at Newcastle United behind the scenes that Madison got in the England squad. They were hoping that he was going to miss out because that is their main target and their big play going for him, and obviously getting in the England squad and playing the World Cup just adds a little bit more dollar. I know it doesn't matter because of the the backing that they have, but that was a that was a big one. They, they, they were hoping that he'd miss out so they could they could get things done um, sooner and quicker.
3: Yeah, I think the back end of this season is going to be fascinating because uh, obviously we saw a few years ago years ago when Liverpool won the league, there was obviously a lot of disruptions with COVID and. I think obviously for completely different reasons, but I think the second half of this season is going to be similar. It's going to be, it's almost like starting again, which is quite unique. And I think that my concern for Arsenal is they've obviously had a lot of players, they're going to have a lot of players playing in the World Cup and players potentially going very far in the World Cup. So is there going to be a hangover from this? You know, are they going to be fatigued in the back end of the season? I think these are all kind of fascinating things that could definitely not work in their favour.
1: All right, we're going to switch focus now and go from the Premier League to women's football because in our own backyard over the last uh, week, we've seen our Matildas in action. They took on Thailand on the central coast last night in front, in front of around 12,000 fans and a 2-0 win with a goal either side of halftime. Sam Kerr broke the deadlock in the 39th minute through a, a headed corner and then Hayley Rasso made it two in the second half. I have to say I was quite surprised with the starting lineup uh, for the Thailand game where we went out with you know almost our top side. But uh, the goal post was awfully helpful in this match, 31 shots, and I think we hit the post three times, Tommy.
3: Yeah, it was a great game. Obviously, it capped off a great week for the Matildas generally, but um, yeah, obviously in the first half yesterday, uh, you know, we just couldn't get that first goal, but there was a sense that once the first one went in, then the floodgates would open. And I think, um, you know, it was maybe not quite as cutthroat as the first game against Sweden, but still, was plenty to be positive about.
1: We, uh, we can also say hello to our newest Matilda in Matilda McNamara, who received her first cap last night. Uh, a welcome back to Elise Kellen Knight, who returned to international football after a two-year layoff through a, um, you know, pretty horrific injury that just kept giving. And then Claire Polkinghorne joining Cheryl Salisbury as the most capped footballer in Australia on 151 caps. That's both men or women, Schwartzie.
2: That's huge. Yeah, absolutely um, enormous. That, that's amazing. Yeah, that she's done incredibly well, and hats off to her because that's a remarkable accomplishment. Um, and for Cheryl as well. I know I know Cheryl a little bit. I played I played uh, at a school, get their school state championships in Darwin back in oh, I can't even remember what year it was. It was ridiculous. Uh, it would have been eighty six. I think it was um and uh is that right 86 something like that maybe a bit later and uh Cheryl was there playing for the women, uh, for the women's team and obviously I was there with the, with the the guys and uh we played the tournament simultaneously and got to know her a little bit there it was really nice to see and obviously followed her career through with the Matildas as well so congratulations um to Claire as well that's an amazing accomplishment
1: And there was a lovely little moment last night where uh, Matilda McNamara came on for her first cap and Claire obviously in her 151st and they had a little high-five moment and I thought – Oh, look at that, the, the, you know, the solid generation passing on to the new generation, just absolutely beautiful. She's been around the team now, I think, for about 16 years. So uh, big kudos to you today, uh, Claire Polkinghorn. Australia could have been um, criticised for not being quite clinical enough in front of goal against Thailand. They had no such problems against Sweden, uh, winning that game 4-0. Now, just a reminder that Sweden's ranked number two in the world. And, Schwartz. I know you don't put a lot on rankings, but this happened to be their most impressive win in recent history.
2: I, I think so, yeah. I, I, I really do. And, and it was a, a tie that I was interested in to see how the performance was going to be and what the result was going to be like because, you know, we've, we've had ongoing discussions, Amy, you and I, about where the Matildas are right now and heading into a World Cup uh, not too far away and, and and the results haven't been the best over the last probably 12 12 months to 18 months, and questions have been raised, which is understandable. Um, but that, that result certainly played um, played in the hands of, of, of a really good performance and a really good result against, you know, one of the best teams in the world. My question then is when you you say, you know, they put one of their best teams out to play then against Thailand, what happened? You know, where, you know, we should be destroying a team like Thailand. I mean why Why was it is – is it taking the foot off the off the pedal a little bit? Was it a come down after beating Sweden?
1: I, th- I think they were a really tough team to face and we knew that when we faced them in the Asian Cup as well. Um, it took us quite a while to break the deadlock in that match too. I will say they made a lot of changes at halftime and in, and in the second half, Schwartzy, so that always has an impact. Um, but uh, they just weren't clinical enough in front of goals. They had so many chances, multiple one-on-ones. We hit the post three times. Um, we definitely outnumbered the shot. The goalkeeping performance too, you should go back and have a look at that Schwartz, there's a few absolute gems in that uh, as well so I think that's really was what was at the crux of it, Australia dominated and just you know, weren't clinical enough in front of goals but Bridgie, with a 4-0 win over Sweden, is that the moment where the last 12 months sort of starts to make sense, where we now kick on to something more special?
4: I'd like to think so because there's been numerous times that we've done the gig pod Amy, you know we've been questioning yourself and in saying where, where have these bad results come from, you know. Um, it was the, the Dutch, the, the game against the Netherlands got smashed then against Germany when Gustavsson had just taken over. And it's, it's just starting now. You're, like you say, you're starting to see some youngsters come involved. You've seen new players making their debuts and getting involved. And that Sweden results. I think is is now set of precedence, and I'm hoping that that is what is going to kickstart and carry on into the World Cup. Now you've got to you've got to start to gather momentum from that and take some satisfaction. Now a four 0 win over Sweden, I think that is absolutely huge. So I am hoping. That the negativity and everything that has been surrounding the Matildas over the last oh, what year, year and a bit is now we can just put that to rest and let the girls in the team get ready and prepare in the right manner for the World Cup because that's a huge result.
1: So that's four wins on the trot now, Tommy. And we've seen a couple of uh, positional changes in the last couple of games. Uh, We saw Caitlin Ford playing a more central role in supporting Sam Kerr. uh, And and we saw her bag a brace in that game against Sweden. Do you think that that tactical change will, will be like that for, like, will it last? I think
3: potentially. I think in the last couple of games, obviously you mentioned last night we didn't obviously get... um, We weren't as cutthroat or clinical in front of goal as we would have liked, but I think we had in the last two games a lot more fluidity in the front third than we have seen in recent Matilda's outings, and I think that was something that I'll definitely want to persist with. And obviously Hayley Raso's influence in the last couple of games was great as well. Um, Fantastic goal last night, and obviously a great assist for Sam Kerr in the first game, but I think that yeah, the, the the dynamics of the team were much more positive, and I think they were offering more with the ball than they have in previous games, which was great to see.
1: Schwartzy, this question comes to you. The A-League's women's um, kicks off this weekend with the addition of Western United. How important will the next 20 weeks be for players outside the squad at the moment? How, how important will it be for them to make their case uh, for the World Cup?
2: It's Maybe huge. as a bolter. I- well, it's huge because they've, they've actually got more of an advantage than, than the guys have just had recently, right? So the A-League have only played a handful of rounds leading up to the World Cup. So the guys found it more difficult to try and find any sort of consistency run of games to try and fight their way into the World Cup squad. So whereas, whereas the the Women's League kicking off now um, <clears throat> with 20 weeks of, of rounds, plenty of time to, to really find some form and to get some consistency under their belt. And I think that's certainly going to help players... Um, Get into a good run of form, but also come into the mind of uh, of, of the national team manager uh, in Kristoffersen, and 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 possibly you know have him second guess about players and positions and whether there's something a little bit different, a little bit of X factor that maybe he hasn't quite got it at the moment, or someone who's maybe a bit raw, rough around the edges, like we've got with you know Koal in, in in the in the men's now at the World Cup, uh, to see whether that would be the same with the Matildas.
3: Yeah, I completely agree. I think it'll be fascinating to see. Um, Yeah, obviously a longer A-League women's season this year, and I think that ties in and is ideal prep, obviously, for our domestic players as well. So, um, yeah, like Swartzie just touched on, it'll be interesting to see if there's any bolters that can make, you know, a last-minute sprint to get into that final squad and... Um, yeah we'll be watching closely
1: well they will have 20 weeks to make their case that is it for the Gagan pod today thank you to our guest michael bridges great to have you with us you're on the england bus the aussie bus uh what are the bus the brazilian bus a whole lot for the men's world cup good luck with that um thank you so much for your company enjoy your time over in doha and qatar and uh tommy Orr, thank you for your insight There's still live and exclusive football on Optus Sport as the WSL continues through the Men's World Cup. You can watch Sunday morning at 2am as Everton hosts Manchester City and then don't miss Arsenal, including our Matilda Stars, hosting Manchester United from 4.30am. You can also watch Sam Kerr's Chelsea play from midnight, Australian Eastern Daylight Saving Time on Monday as the Blues take on Tottenham. I'm pretty sure that'll be a one-sided affair. The Premier League will be back from 11.30pm on Boxing Day. What a way to spend your summer. And the Gagan Pod is running daily during the World Cup. So make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And remember to rate us five stars while you're there. We will be back on the opening day and, as I mentioned, every day of the World Cup. So let's get this festival of football started. On behalf of Mark Schwartzer, Tommy Orr and Michael Bridges, I've been your host today, Amy Duggan. Thanks for listening to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. This was The Gagan Podcast.